Hello, and welcome to this Speed Listen installment of the Six Gun Justice Podcast. Soon to be exclusive to our Patreon supporters, Speed Listens are occasional short podcast installments in support of our full-length Six Gun Justice episodes. I'm Richard Prosh, writing solo today. My compadre and Six Gun Justice co-host, Paul Bishop, and I will each be presenting Speed Listen installments while continuing to host our regular podcast episodes together. In this Speed Listen installment, I'll be talking about John Wayne's Lone Star Studio Westerns from the mid-1930s. When I was young, growing up in Nebraska, you had three ways to see a movie. You either caught it the first time through the theater, you waited a couple years for it to show up on TV as a movie of the week or a late, late show, or, and I only knew a couple of guys who ever did this, you bought the silent, truncated versions through hobby outlets. That was it. Movies came, they went, and if you didn't see them the first time or on TV, you were generally out of luck. I used to read about revivals that they had in the cities, about how some New York theater or San Francisco theater was showing an old silent classic or run of some early cowboy serial, but 2,000 miles away in the heartland, it was like reading about the moon landings, something wonderful but so completely out of reach. Until the late 1980s, I'd never heard of Lone Star Pictures or even realized John Wayne worked at anything before John Ford directed Stagecoach, his breakthrough film, which I had read about in old film magazines. My mom was a big fan of the Lana Turner Top Hat Cafe Discovery Story, and I always just assumed Marion Morrison, the Duke's real name, was just hanging around a soda shop one day when Ford or one of his friends picked the actor up and called him the Ringo Kid. The truth about John Wayne's rise to Western screen icon is more circuitous and involves a series of pre-stagecoach movies I knew nothing about until the VHS heyday of the late 1980s. Indirectly, young Morrison owes his shot at the big time to another cowboy icon, Tom Mix. Tom got a young Marion a summer job loading props on the back lot of a film studio in exchange for football tickets from USC, where Wayne played under Coach Howard Jones. Not content with manual labor, Marion Morrison answered one cattle call after another. The cattle call is the name given to announcements about bit part cast openings in early Hollywood. So a cattle call would go out, he would answer, and maybe get to be an extra or have a bit part in a film. His first appearance on the screen, while uncredited, may have been a sports movie called Brown of Harvard in 1926. But with words and music, a 1929 comedy, he did receive his first credit as Duke Morrison. And so it went, with more than a dozen on-screen jobs for the Duke, most of those still uncredited. One day, director Raoul Walsh saw the lanky Morrison hard at work on one of those backlots and decided to cast John Wayne in a lead role in 1930's The Big Trail, after Gary Cooper had turned down the role. In reading about The Big Trail, I learned that another reason for my belief in the stagecoach legend, besides the unavailability of Wayne's early movies, was a rumor actually perpetuated by John Ford himself, who substituted himself for Walsh and claimed to have discovered Wayne moving props, and he claims that he handpicked him as an unknown to play the Ringo Kid. Ford stuck with this story for the rest of his life. Between 1930's The Big Trail and 1939's Stagecoach, Wayne honed his acting skills in more than 50 pictures, almost half of them for producer Paul Malvern's low-budget production house Lone Star. Continuing to work up through the studio food chain from B-movies to big-budget features, Wayne moved with Lone Star through its merger with Republic and beyond. 
As much as I enjoyed the classic John Wayne canon, including Red River, Hondo, The Searchers, She Wore a Yellow Ribbon, and others, I became enamored with the Lone Star movies one weekend when I saw Blue Steel and The Star Packer. The late 80s were a boom time for the resurrection of visual media. After decades of knowing I'd never see the old films or TV shows I'd heard or read about, most of them were suddenly available on video cassette almost overnight. Due to movie owners' lack of diligence with copyright matters over the years, there were a lot of movies available on the cheap in those days, especially if you didn't mind poor quality prints. When we got married, my wife Gina and I used to rent movies frequently. We even used some of our wedding money to purchase our first VCR. And those two inexpensive John Wayne movies were two of the first VHS tapes I owned. From 1933's Riders of Destiny to 1935's The Lawless Range, John Wayne starred in 16 short films for Lone Star, distributed by Poverty Row Studio Monogram. Half of them were made in 1934, a busy schedule to be sure, beginning with Riders of Destiny, Sagebrush Trail, The Lucky Texan, West of the Divide, Blue Steel, my favorite, The Man from Utah, Randy Rides Alone, The Star Packer, another favorite, The Trail Beyond, The Lawless Frontier, Beneath Arizona Skies, Texas Terror, Rainbow Valley's a good one, The Desert Trail, The Dawn Rider, Paradise Canyon. For me, they are the perfect popcorn fare. They were designed to fill the bottom half of a double billing. Coming in at around 50 minutes or so, they're longer than the 20-minute serial installments of the day, but not as long as a feature film. Like the serials, they had minimal budgets, with a few sets, and they used a familiar company of actors over and over again. Best of all, they are available to us today at little or no expense, streaming on Amazon Prime, YouTube, or a number of other formats. Make no mistake, when judged by story, dialogue, acting, lighting, music, cinematography, these aren't good films. The plots are simplistic Western tropes, already old hat by the 1930s. They often veer recklessly into complete incoherence. For whatever reason, copyright or other, most of the original music, what there even was of it, is non-existent. And worse, somebody replaced several of the scores with ear-splitting 80s synthesizer work. But here's the thing. I enjoy the heck out of them because watching stalwarts Wayne, George Hayes, and Yakima Kanut trade lines, horses, and swap wild haymaker punches is joyously addictive. Wayne goes from gangly, singing Sandy Sanders in the first movie with a dubbed singing voice to a relaxed, confident lawman in the later offerings. It's a joy to watch him grow as an actor. Hayes, who had yet to perfect his famed Gabby persona, often plays the older man in Wayne's life, either a mentor or father of Wayne's love interest. When Gabby gets the opportunity to be the villain, as he does in The Star Packer, it's a pleasant surprise. It's really fun to watch. Canute, whose nickname comes from the Yakima River Valley in his home state of Washington, often played Wayne's stunt double with spectacular results. That guy is just a joy to watch, especially when you understand that he actually designed a lot of the stunts he performed, stunts that would become popular for years. Wayne and Canute were friends off-screen as well, and the chemistry they had is evident. My favorite of these films is The Star Packer from July of 1934. In this one, Canute plays a Native American sidekick named Yak to Wayne's Lone Ranger-style lawman. It's as solid of an entry as you'll find. Wayne admired Canute's stunt work and learned from him. How to fall off a horse, how to fake a fight in front of the camera. Some go so far as to say much of Wayne's later movie persona was based on Yakima Canute including his drawl and his walk. It might not be far from the truth, because Wayne himself is on record saying, 
I spent weeks and weeks studying the way Yakima Kanut walked and talked. He was a real cowhand. There's no shortage of trivia in these films, from the fact that, in The Star Packer, Sheriff John never actually wears a badge, to the fact that Writers of Destiny used the statement, make him an offer he can't refuse, decades before The Godfather popularized that. After their initial run in the 30s, the Lone Star films were more or less forgotten, with their stars moving on to better films with higher production values. Wayne's portrayal of Stony Brook, one of the three Mesketeers, along with Ray Corrigan and Max Terhune, was a notable entry in the B catalog at Republic before he moved exclusively into feature films. Gabby Hayes went on to co-star in scores of westerns, eventually earning his own TV show and comic book, while Yakima Kanut directed the action scenes for big-budget shows like Spartacus, Ben-Hur, and Disney's Westward Ho. There's an abundance of movies so bad they're great, so if you're going to spend some time with one, I recommend the John Wayne Lone Star Adventures, movies with heart and a real sense of Hollywood history. Thanks for listening to this exclusive Speed Listen installment of the Six Gun Justice podcast. Remember to check out the Six Gun Justice website at www.sixgunjustice.com for regularly updated reviews, articles, and interviews from the best of the Western wordslingers. You can follow the Six Gun Justice podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can comment on our Six Gun Justice podcast episodes or our Speed Listen installments by emailing us at sixgunjusticewesterns at gmail.com. Till next time, be safe and keep your Stetson clean, your horse ready, and your six guns loaded. Adios. Adios.